Today on The Daily Charge, taking a look at the cheapest 5G phone yet, how Wi-Fi 6 could change your life, and Scott Stein shares his experience with the Nintendo Switch Lite. Good morning. Welcome to CNET's Daily Charge. It's Wednesday, August 28th. I'm Roger Chang. I'm Scott Stein. I'm Eli Blumenthal. Let's take a look at the news. The Nintendo Switch Lite made waves when the $200 console was introduced in July. Our own Scott Stein got a closer look at the Lite, and now that you've had some more time with it, what do you think? Yeah, this is my second time getting a chance to look at it, and I got to spend this time about an hour with it. Anyone who's been thinking about getting a more affordable Switch or has kids, doesn't care about connecting to the TV... Mm. I think this feels like the better piece of hardware, surprisingly. It feels more sturdy. The smaller size actually is nicer to carry around. It feels a little less creaky. Uh, The buttons feel really good, although you won't be able to swap the controllers like Mm. the regular Switch. So those who have reported drift issues, TBD, uh, I think it's great. And you save $100. The only thing is that, uh, yes, you can't detach the Joy-Cons, but the real downside is that doesn't have the dockability. If yeah, you think about that. I mean, that so sort of takes switch. away from the identity of the of the, the brand itself, right? The Nintendo it's not Switch, a switch <laughs> unless not you switch. switch to the Switch Lite. That's so the part. Essentially, that's the is switch. this like a DS, like an upgraded DS? Is the DS still around? Uh, the DS, uh, the, the 3DS and 2DS models yeah. are still around. So yeah, it really feels like a, a the real successor to the 3DS, 2DS, and mm. has that kind of that kind of feel. The question is, you know, if you think about that losing the TV out element, it's not just the ability to play on a TV, it's multiplayer. Because, you know, when I play at home, we play things like Mario Kart or Mario Party, and it's the multi-controller is facilitated that way. You can connect other controllers to the Switch Lite. Oh. But so like the Joy-Cons I already have will still work with it. Yes, you could pair them. But you could, but you there's no kickstand. But you couldn't connect the light to say like another switch as like a hub, as like a secondary controller. No, no you can't use it as a secondary controller. Okay. Um as far as anything they've said. Like a Wii U type of thing. No. Um and, and the other thing is if you're thinking about being a two switch household, which I think a lot of people will start to think of that weirdly, because mm. two hundred dollars is not that much money uh for a second system. Uh, the problem is Nintendo has said there is nothing forthcoming on future game sharing revisions or updates. Yeah, ba- uh, Doug Bowser had, when I talked with him uh, a while ago, had alluded to maybe something. It turns out that that was just them making it clearer how to do some of their account stuff on the site, which is limited. Basically, it means you can transfer all your information from one switch to another, or you can set one up as a primary and one as a kind of secondary, which means you have to authenticate online every time you play. But basically, yeah, it's annoying. If you have a game card, you're fine. If you have digital versions of the games, it's going to be really painful. So if I'm a a household that has multiple switches, I have one switch account, and I buy a game like Smash, will I be able to play it simultaneously on the switch and the switch Lite? No. And what you'd have to do is you could be playing it on the Switch. Uh, well, actually, you could possibly. I, I haven't actually tried. I mean, would you be able to connect to it and play online on your secondary Switch while you're taking the other offline on the go? Because it wouldn't know you were offline. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's a it's a po- the possibility, which was sort of like you could do, is set up the original Switch docked at home. To be able to check online and play those games as the secondary one, this, and then have the other on the go. The point is, it's a huge pain in. Yeah, it really does kind of mark or illustrate the the how far behind Nintendo is when it comes to sort of online, like the, the, the idea of like yes. ubiquitous usage of devices, like that Netflix and Apple and all these other companies have sort of embraced. Like, I feel like Nintendo is just like generations behind everyone. 
Yeah, and this thing really lingers with this product because I think if you're thinking about this like an iPad or an iPad mini or you have family devices, things like uh, what Google Stadia is going to be, uh, PlayStation even with some of their, you know, between the Vita and the PlayStation 4 and the way that works, uh, they need to make uh, a family account where this stuff is more easily set up. And it seems so odd that they're not doing that at least from the jump. Yes. Particularly because – their brand is so family-friendly and so family-focused. Maybe they're going to realize they need to do this. Either it's in the cards or they're going to realize that, you know, the Switch Lite now does seem like a secondary option, maybe for, to reach a different market. But if they want to double down in the same household, uh, it's time they start thinking about that type of stuff. All right. Pl- plenty to talk about here, but we've got to move yeah. on. We've got a lot of headlines. But it's ne- a great handheld. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, Sprint showed off the OnePlus 7 Pro 5G yesterday. It's... At $840, it marks the cheapest 5G phone from a major U.S. carrier yet. And the phone launch has also marked the expansion of Sprint into four more cities, including here in New York, uh, with 5G. So it's interesting that Sprint, which has struggled with network quality issues and just a, a bad rep in general, uh, is also one of the largest 5G networks in the world. Now, Eli, you had a chance to, to talk with Sprint and check out the phone. I mean, what were your impressions? So the phone is the same as the OnePlus 7 Pro we've seen since around May, I believe, is when the first one came out. And we have this here. And I'm, I'm right holding here. here. Yep. So the only difference, really, for, for those who are listening, it's really just the branding. It says OnePlus 5G on the back. And inside it has support for Sprint's you know, right. 5G network. And, yeah, as you mentioned, it is a bit surprising that we're seeing Sprint, that carrier that struggled, the fourth carrier, have a 5G network that now they, they claim covers 11 million people and in New York, 1.7 million, which is impressive. And they work indoors. The speeds aren't as fast as the millimeter wave networks you'll see from Verizon or AT&T or T-Mobile, but you don't have to stand on a street corner to use it. Yeah, although uh, in terms of working indoors, I mean, we've as we discovered here in the office, there is no 5G here on our studio. But if we go out to my office right by the window, we can get 5G. So it, it, your mileage might vary in terms of coverage, right? Yes, very much so. It, it's still not as strong as some LTE band. Mm-hmm. And we may have to wait until what's known as uh, the low band sub-6 that AT&T and T-Mobile are launching possibly later this year, definitely 2020. Uh, for coverage that really hits all the places you have a 4G signal today. All right. All right. Also, our own Stephen Shanklin had a deeper look at Wi-Fi 6, also known as Wi-Fi 802.11ax for all you Wi-Fi nerds. It promises to triple speed and double the range of coverage. Now, while I love talking about 5G, as Brian knows, Wi-Fi 6 could potentially have a bigger impact on our daily lives. What do you guys think? Like, are you are you excited for the Wi-Fi 6 revolution? I am if we start to see faster speeds rolled out by our, you know, internet service providers or ISPs. Because that's what really dictates this. Yep. It's really, they go hand in hand. And you need devices to support Wi-Fi 6, which we're starting to see the the latest Galaxy phones Mm -hmm. support Wi-Fi 6. I don't know if the Switch Lite does. I I don't believe it does. Yeah. Um, And there are only a handful of, like, actual Wi-Fi 6 routers out there, right? Like, it's it's pretty rare. Very early days for the entire, you know, industry here. But, yeah, it could definitely change people's lives more than, you know, some other technologies we've seen in the home. Or we could just have like a 5G home broadband connection story that you wrote earlier. See, I somehow tied it back to 5G. All right. Lastly, Fitbit has a new smartwatch that adds Alexa and Spotify. Scott, uh, you checked out the Versa 2. What are some of the other features we should know about? Yeah. So Fitbit did have some models that came out back in the spring that were more like budget updates and, and reaching like a $150 price. This is a $200 watch that's going head-to-head against what we expect to be the next Apple Watch, plus the Samsung Galaxy Watch Active 2, maybe other stuff in the fall. 
So the big addition is Alexa, which, you know, that you say that and it sounds like a big feature update. And it is in the sense that Fitbit has never had a microphone on one of its devices before. Mm. But what's interesting is that it's not going to do exactly everything that you think it's going to do. It does a lot of the core Alexa services like getting information online, connecting with your smart home stuff, weirdly. So you could like turn on lights, uh, you get weather, uh, core connecting to your Fitbit stuff, like starting a workout. That's not in there yet. And it's going to mm. be there by end of year. It's almost like that's harder to do. And it doesn't control music. So it's a bit of a disconnect. It doesn't have Amazon Music. It does, however, have Spotify. And that was an overdue Late edition now, um, Garmin and, and Samsung and others have had Spotify. Now Fitbit has it. Fitbit had music support before, but with Pandora, Deezer, and sideloaded music, which was not like having music. And now this is like really the arrival of a music watch, which I haven't tested yet, mm. but we will soon. Uh, those are the big features, and it's faster, so it feels a little zippier, which it should have felt all along. The $200, is that going to be something you want to get, or do you feel like you're, you're fine with what you've got? What's interesting is that Fitbit's kind of hedging its bet because it's also getting a subscription service. Hmm. So this is something that Apple's had a whole year doubling down on subscriptions. Fitbit now is doing this $10 a month Fitbit Premium. And Fitbit's already had a coaching service that was uh, that they had for a while that was an offshoot of Fitstar. This folds in all the workout stuff but also casts this wide umbrella where it claims to be able to do – uh, health reports to give to your doctor. Nothing FDA cleared, but this is um, stuff like eventually weight loss plans, nutrition goals and management, deeper sleep analysis, some stuff you'd probably want to have in the free app, but they're going to charge for this. And then they're going to have an additional paid service next year that's going to be more one-on-one health coaching. So it's like a, a whole, it almost feels like the bigger splash. For yeah, them. no, it definitely seems like they're they're making a big push in the subscription service, they just are. like everyone else. For the Daily Charge, I'm Roger Chang. I'm Scott Stein, Rabies Free. And I'm Eli Blumenthal. Thanks for listening. 